Entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Been a great third down defense the last two weeks. The Steelers have got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield. Intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath. Doctor is now in. It is a football Friday, hour number two, right here at the Westgate Las Vegas, our Friday home. We love it here. No better place to come watch the games, wager on the games, and eat the food here at the Westgate Las Vegas as well, too. We appreciate Jay Cornegay and the whole crew here. Hour number two coming your way. Trevor Maddich will join us, and we will start breaking down. The AFC and NFC Championship game. Marco D'Angelo, my tag team partner, he is here. We've got college basketball. We are now kind of turned that page a little bit now where, okay, Saturday now is a dedicated college basketball time now. And Marco's been in that mode for the last couple weeks because he stays up all night. You and Scott Sprites are handicapping the heck out of all that. But, uh, yeah, no football on Saturday. We've got the two games on Sunday. So, uh Looking forward to diving into uh, more and more college basketball here starting tomorrow. A whole bunch of good games too, tomorrow as well. Well, this is the time of the year. You know, teams are making their moves, uh, you know, jockeying for position in conference uh, races and getting set for conference tournament time. And then, of course, March Madness. And I've told you many times, TC, I love conference play in college basketball that's when i really get locked into college basketball i'm not a big fan of the early season stuff uh you know because you got teams that don't play each other on a regular basis and i know there's a lot of guys that love it i know you know scott he's the opposite he really loves the early uh basketball and he feels he has a you know good edge there and he's done very well over the years um so you know yeah i would love it too but my bread and butter is uh, January, February, and March for college basketball, and especially conference tournament week. That's one of the most hectic weeks of handicapping because it's unlike any other time of the year. Because, you know, when we leave here tonight, you know what my Friday night routine is. The lines are out. I, I work on the games, and we do it. But in conference tournament week, they're playing back-to-back-to-back days as you – continued advance and you can't get a number until that game's over from the night before of what you're looking at and you know a lot of late nights and then you got to handicap momentum then you got to check you know make sure of injury reports if anybody left you know one of those games you know you don't have that 24 48 hour period between you know games like you normally would have uh, during the week in uh, in college basketball so fun time of the year stressful time but can be very profitable you do your homework yeah and uh, kudos to you and scott for both having the uh seven footers team last night the usf dons they go into gonzaga keep that game close they covered the the nine and uh that thing was nip and tuck all the way through so that was a, that was a good call by you guys and a good call for me because i tease gonzaga <laughs> You and those teasers. Actually, you know what? Actually, I take that back, Marco. I didn't tease it. I went money line parlay. I'm kicking myself that I didn't tease it because, you know, I didn't make as much money on the money line parlay. You didn't have to sweat as much either. Yeah. And and the other game, you like this one. You know the other game I I teamed it with? No. Oregon. They crushed Arizona State last night. They did. Yeah. But uh, going to Gonzaga, there's just. I've watched this team this year, and there's just. Something missing. I, I don't know what it is. You know, we're so used to how good they are and oh, how dominant they I'll are. I'll tell you what it is. It's 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 the scoring. They do not yeah. have the depth. And again, now you have a point guard in Nemhart who came over from, um, you know, from uh, Creighton, and he goes to Gonzaga. But they don't have that that perennial, you know, other guard score that can light it up. And they don't have that dominant post player like they've had with Timmy. They just don't have that depth, and they're a younger team. And, again, it's not a team that uh, – now, they'll still you know, put up 80, 85, 90 points a game against the lesser opponents in the WCC, 
But, uh, you know, I've seen San Francisco so many times. I know that program so well. Uh, they are very, very inconsistent. When they're hitting their threes, they'll hang around when they're not. Uh, but I just figured, you know, they're not going to be able to beat Gonzaga, but they have an opportunity to keep a close. And that's what normally happens with this team all the time. Like, you talk about, you know, Buffalo or, you know, Kansas City being Buffalo's head from a football perspective. That's the way it is with this school. It's like, okay, you know, we've come close to Gonzaga, but, you know, we just, we just can't beat them. And they've had several games that have been single digit games. And that's the way that one played out last night. So when I saw the line at nine, you and I, we were at dinner the night before and I said, hmm, okay. Uh, I, and remember you asked me, you go, oh, what do you think it's going to be? I go, it's going to be like nine, nine and a half. Sure it was. Yeah, I was hoping that. I was thinking like, maybe they'll push it up to double digits, uh, but then that gets me in that teaser or money line mode when I'm in an eight or a nine to tease it down where they basically just got to win the game. And the one thing that San Francisco did have going for them, and, and I say this on your show all the time and any show that I do, revenge is the most overused word in sports. Unless it's a team where you're talking playoff revenge, conference tournament revenge, and that was the case for San Francisco, remember last year here in Vegas, it was you were at the game with the big seven footer, and I was sweating. Uh, I think <laughs> I had a total in that game, and I, I was sweating the the under uh, yeah. down the stretch. It, it was a stone cold under, it was, and they yeah. kept falling and throwing up threes yeah. in the final two minutes. And yeah. you're at the game. Oh, you're good. You're good. And we all know how that usually works out when you give me those stats. And you were good on that one. Yeah, <laughs> on, on that one. Okay, but yeah. I, I went from a you know a rocking chair winner to sweating down it. And, and again, you always want to say, I always tell you about you know these teasers, and right. I, I'm going to say it to you. All right, I'm telling you about these totals. I'm not a totals guy. You love these totals, and you're either you either sweating bullets all the time, and you rarely have these easy winners. So here, I'm just going to say this. You know, I've said it before. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Okay, just for everybody. All right, I do. I'm only handicapping the way a coach or a player thinks. No player, no coach gives a darn, okay, about how many points that team scores or what the pace is or whatever it is. They handicap and play the game and coach the game to win the game. Totals are, 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 are a thing that is so hit and miss because I want to be in the minds of the players and the coaches. I want to be in that mindset, and the total is nowhere near a mindset of anybody in that organization. I'm going to just I'm going to totally disagree with you. I'm okay. telling you, that's okay. it's it. It's, it's like they're not total. thinking, okay, we're going to, we we want to score in the 70s. No, they have a game plan of their what they want to accomplish on the game right. that gives them the in the yeah. game to give them the best chance yeah. to win. Okay? Whether They're focused it was, on winning the game. Okay. Whether it was Jim Beheim with his 2-3 zone, matchup zone, yeah. and, you know, you're going to force that team to beat you from the outside, and that particular team doesn't shoot well from the arc, yeah, that's going to handicap. That's factored into my handicapping mm-hmm. for a total. Uh, Don Chaney and Temple. You can tell me that his game plans or the Princeton coach. Uh, but all those totals are skewed to that. They're skewed. Those are lower totals because of that. I'm just telling you, as a coach and a player and all that stuff, they're not thinking that way. They're not thinking the way you're thinking or, or handicappers are thinking when they're betting totals. Like this week, okay, San Francisco, you know, in, in Detroit, okay? Or it's going to go over because, you know, both teams – you know, have these great wide receivers, this and that, da-da-da. But especially from a basketball perspective, you never go into it and say, okay, we want to keep this game in the 50s. You, you're not thinking that. You're going to play lockdown defense. You're going to run your offense. You're, you're there to score. You're there to win. They, they're not thinking like, hey, let's win this game, you know, 132 to 130, like in the NBA or something like that. Hey, we're going to keep this game in the 90s. It just it d- doesn't apply. So I, that's all I'm saying is that I don't, I don't, it's, I don't want to handicap. I don't. I'm, I'm trying to handicap the game itself, and I, and I want to be on the side that the coach and the players' mindset. I want to have that same mindset that they have. 
not just taking a whim like, oh, I think it's gonna, you know, go over or it's gonna go under. I mean, that's I a never, crap I never, I never put money on. Oh, I think I, I have reasons why I think the Every way. Every one I of think. your stories that I hear is a total story about. Oh, I thought I was in the easy chair, and this, and then all of a sudden oh. the three fest went off. Oh, yeah. You can't control that. You can't handicap that. You can't handicap that. A team, you know, shooting twenty five percent from three one night and forty eight percent, you know, the other night. You know, if you have a team down nine points and and they continue to foul for the final three minutes of the game, yeah, and then it, and it goes over by three points, yeah, you had a you had a bad beat. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, just like any 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 game can happen. There's value there, and the reason why I end up sweating more games is because I will say this much: I probably bet more unders than I bet overs. And if you talk to most sharp guys they're gonna that's gonna be their portfolio you know like yeah. uh, uh, you know when you're buying stocks you're, you're gonna be betting unders because you know there's more value in the under than the over because the betting public never likes right. to bet under and, and the thing is when I have play totals I'm an under guy because again I want to root for the clock <laughs> you know <laughs> I want to root for the clock. That's what I'm, I'm saying. And sometimes know? it seems like that clock's standing still, doesn't it? Does. It? <laughs> it does. It, it, it does at times. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Michigan State is playing Wisconsin tonight, and this is like the only. That's the marquee decent, game. It's the marquee. Yeah, thank you. It's the marquee game. But it's really weird that we're starting to get a little bit more because Friday's always was dead for. College basketball. This is the Ivy League, and that's about it. Night game, find the Ivy League games now, and uh, now we're starting to see the, you know, like the Big Ten having like a, a, a Friday night game. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but again, it will draw my attention to that game. I know Wisconsin is a three and a half point favorite. Michigan State has been very disappointing this year, but they are starting to play a little bit better basketball the last couple of weeks. It's Tom Izzo basketball. Okay, we, it's watching the movie Groundhog Day on Endless Loop. He is a coach, and it's why I love Izzo so much. He doesn't care what his record is in November, okay, or December. And you know what his record was? It was four and five. He started a season four and five. He played Arizona in the beginning of the season. He played another, uh, I forget who the other team was. He played two big guns early in the season, you know, that were losses on the road. Uh, he gets his te- he uses November and December to get his team. That'd be Duke. You're Duke, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you. To get his team ready for the stretch run in February and March Madness. And they're always peaking at the right time. The, those losses early in the season against better What do you gain from playing a, a cupcake or a little sister of the poor and you win by 30 points mm-hmm. and you start your season 8-0? Okay, but you've not been tested. All right, you, you you don't have players in you know game deciding, you know late games where you're tight, you know because that's going to happen in the tournaments. He's won eight of his last ten games. They're coming into the tournament at the right or season. They're peaking at the right time. They already played Wisconsin earlier in the year, and it's another angle that I like. They got drilled okay. too. They got drilled at home. Yeah. Okay, but that was that was yeah. first week of December. It was December fifth, I believe, and they weren't. They're not the same team now that they were then. I, I just got done saying revenge is the most overused, but there's certain situations like I like taking a road dog in a second meeting because generally you're going to get some line value. The team that won the first meeting on the road gets that little false sense of security. Oh, we already beat you on the road. Now we're at home. You know. We just got to show up, you know. And the line, to be honest with you, when you look at it, you look at the standings. Wisconsin's number one in the Big Ten right now. They're fifteen and four on the season, and they're at home and they're only laying three, three and a half. Mm-hmm. That looks pretty inviting to grab Wisconsin, considering they already beat them by more than that at Michigan State. That's the way a lot of the average betters are going to look at that game. Uh, so I am on Michigan State tonight. Uh, it should be a good game, and they've done this the last couple of years uh, with putting, you know, one or two games on Friday night. The you know the Pac-12 has been doing it as well, and it gets the conference, you know, a standalone game, gets you some TV money, and you know, I, I don't have a problem with it because I got tired of trying to handicap Penn and uh, Princeton, right. and Colgate right. and Cornell. Come on, Pete Carrill, you know, we're going to keep the game in the 50s. You know, if, <laughs> no offense. If they got higher IQs than me, I'm not going right. to handicap them. 
Here, here's what I worry about with Michigan State. Okay, they finally won a road game by two points on Sunday against uh, at Maryland. But you, they played four conference road games. That's been their last four road games. And they got beat soundly in every one of those except that last game at Maryland. So they are totally a different team home and away. Now, they've blasted opponents at home over the last month during that win streak that you're talking about. But would you say six out of eight? They've eight and two last ten. Eight and two out of their last ten, exactly. And, um, again, those two, uh, you know, losses were, you know, on the road in those. But, yeah, um, they have struggled on the road. But. I probably could be talked into taking Sparty on a teaser tonight up to about nine and a half. You laugh? What's wrong with that? You like him at three and a half? Why wouldn't you like him at nine and a half? I don't bet teasers in basketball. Oh, my the, goodness. The variance of the scoring. And we have this conversation all the time. Uh, I know Every we do. year. And, and, I, and I always point it out to you. And, and instead of saying, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, so many times I've said, look at this. That's it. That's it. That's it. And, it's, and instead of saying, yeah, maybe I should look at that, you just laugh. Uh, because it's like it's a loser turned into a winner. It's maximizing the line as much as you can. I want you to. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Okay, okay? for the next month, all of the teasers that you have played. Okay, I want you to write down at the end what your actual record would have been on those particular games if you just played the game at the point spread. And see how much. See if there's that much of a difference. I just, I just because it's got to be a big difference because you, you're laying, you know, you're, you're laying juice on the teaser. Okay, now basketball's you're not laying, like football. Yeah, you're laying minimal juice okay. on it. It's not like foot. It's not like you're football. Laying like one thirty for a six point teaser. But then again, like I said, I'm a big proponent of the three team teaser because I want the plus money. And see, I feel like, hey, I'm a good enough handicapper. I can find three games on a card just about every night. If I can't, then I won't play it. Just yeah. do do it do it for me for a month and and see what the, the difference. That sounds like a lot of work. Oh yeah, it does seem like a lot of work. <laughs> like, but I Marco, just, you realize who you're talking to, right? I do. I, I, as it was coming out of my mouth, I, I'm I'm like you know I see this glassy eyed look. It's a, he it's looked a, like Stafford when he got hit in the first the know, playoff game on the you're, on the you're turf. Cutting into my food time. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh my goodness! I don't know. I just, just, just seems like all the time. It's like, oh, oh that see, was that was see, a loser for Seems is not actual documentation. If you do that exercise one time for one month, do you know how many times we've had this conversation last bas- last two basketball seasons? I'm trying to help you out, and I'm winning. That's what I'm saying, and and I point to you, and you go. It's it's you know nothing against you, but you have had the loser on that side and said I'm taking the teaser to win that. Now it doesn't happen all the time, but I'm just saying it's just if you know you know what a wise wise old handicapper would always tell me and it still does says dude if you if you got something that's working for you and you're cashing tickets continue it. I, you're, speechless. You're just, no, I'm not. I'm Crickets, because, please. No, because you won't look and see how many of those tickets you're cashing. You would have cashed anyways betting that's, those teams again, single. That's a scene. You, you, you can't, that's a generalized statement with no factual documentation. That's why I'm telling it. you to do the documentation of it. Do the documentation of, why, of those three why, times. So, so for, to just not play a teaser? To see, see that you you're could make you, more money. I hope the other you're way. not. I really hope because you sound like you're one of these guys that are so anti-teaser. You have to remember, and you know this. And Jay Cornegay, John, they'll tell you this. <laughs> they get killed on teasers. That's in why the, NFL the juice. Put, in, that's, in NFL. that's why the juice Only is the so much, and college football as well too. That's why you've got to lay one forty, one fifty, one sixty. Only on NFL teams. Any bookmaker there's will tell few, you NFL teams. Fewer games. They're not going. They're not going to tell you that they get they get killed on teasers in basketball. Yeah. They're not going to tell you that. If they do, they're they're lying. I, I want to have a polygraph machine with them when but they say it. Doesn't matter. Teaser, teaser. Uh, okay? okay. It doesn't matter the sport because I'm playing it in football. And I'm playing it in basketball. Oh, anti-basketball or whatever. But it's like there's a reason why teasers, going back 25 years ago, you were laying 120. And then it went to 130 forever. And then it went to 140. And now it's gone to 150 in some places here, like 160. Why is that? 
Because people are hitting them. Because if you can, and, 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 and like Jay says, they are scared to death when these guys come in and hammer teasers because, again, it is a profitable way to go. And he, uh, again, that's the NFL. It yeah. is the NFL. There was actually, you know, a, a sports book, I won't call them out, a couple of years ago, there was the first round of the playoffs. And every game that weekend of the playoffs it was the wild card round didn't matter which side you you teased one and they actually panicked and the next week they did they took teasers off the board the second week of the playoffs mm. pretty pretty big outfit i remember to, no i remember oh, okay it. I you know what it. you know what the most stupidest yeah. part of it was yeah. is that next week I think three of the four games were three-point lines, which are the worst for teasing because if you're teasing, unless you know you're not supposed to tease three up, and as I tell you, you're not supposed to tease through zero. So that's the best week for a book not to get drilled on teasers is a week where all of the numbers are three, and they took the teasers off the board. <laughs> I remember it. Okay, it was crazy. Yeah. All right, when we come back, we start breaking down the championship games, Kansas City, Baltimore, and uh, Detroit, and San Francisco, and we'll also dive into our best bets as well. Plus, we'll give you some NFL news uh, as well, too, uh, coaching changes. And, of course, during the course of the week, we've talked a lot about the Raiders and uh, holding that joint press conference a couple of days ago. Tom Telasco, the now the general manager for the Raiders coming over from the Chargers, and Antonio Pierce, the head coach, the official head coach now, the interim tag uh, taken off him. So they held that uh, joint press conference a couple days ago. We'll get some some, uh, talk about that as well, too, as we continue on here on a fabulous football Friday here at the Westgate Las Vegas. The Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame celebration is back Sunday, February 4th at Thunder Valley Casino. Meet and greet the class of 2024. Matt Barnes, James Donaldson, Leon Lee, and Jamie Whitmore. Don't miss Sacramento's best sports night of the year. Food served between 6 and 7 p.m. Live entertainment with comedian Dennis Gaxiola. Get your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com for the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame celebration Sunday night, February 4th. All info, go to SacSportsHOF.com. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and you're listening to T.C. Martin. He's huge, baby. The Superbook here on a Football Friday. T.C. Martin, Marco D'Angelo in the house. Go to wagertalk.com for Marco's selections. Does not matter the sport, whether it's uh, the NBA, college basketball, the NFL, go check it all out there at wagertalk.com. Subscribe to Marco's Plays. All right, we continue on here at the Westgate Las Vegas on a football Friday. Looking forward to the AFC and NFC championships. They're uh, conference championship games. We will uh, dive into that. I uh, want to talk about some more head coaching you know, news You know, coming down the pike. So Atlanta hires Raheem Morris as their head coach. Raheem Morris, you remember him, who's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach from 2009 to 2011. He was with the Rams the past three seasons as their defensive coordinator and did a fine job. And he did a fine job before he was a head coach as a defensive coordinator at the other stops. But in those three seasons that he was at Tampa Bay, his record was 17-31. and 31. Now, Atlanta had conversations with Bill Belichick. And when Belichick decided that he was going to leave and they parted ways there in New England, that was a circle job for him. And he wanted that job. He went through two interviews with the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Blank, their owner. Mike Vrabel also went through a couple interviews. They also interviewed Jim Harbaugh as well. They went through 14 candidates. And Arthur Blank probably... Blew it again. This is a team that continues to do the same thing over and over again, going with a quote-unquote hot coordinator, whether it's an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, and it hasn't worked. And I really thought that they would probably go in a different direction, try something new, as you had several established legendary head coaches that you actually interviewed and we're interested in your job, 
and he goes to Raheem Morris. This blows me away. Yeah, I, what blows me away more is what happened that he didn't go for Bill Belichick because you know it. All indications were Belichick wanted the job. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a team that. You know, again, and I, I've said it. I think Belichick's only sticking around to try to, you know, get the record and everything else. But this was a team that was in the softest division, had talent, a lot of talent around at certain spots, except the quarterback. That was the, that was the question mark, and maybe there were some, you know, flashbacks to New England with what he had quarterback wise the last couple of years. But I thought this job was Belichick's for the taking, and it never got, you know, we've never heard that it was offered or, or rejected or or anything. Like that it's just they moved on to another candidate, right? So. That's where uh, there's something not being said here. And I'm curious if it's on the Belichick side saying, no, I didn't want it. Or Atlanta said, no, we're done. You know, I, Going in this direction, it kind of tells me, if you're going to go through two interviews with Belichick, you already got an idea of, of what you're getting and what he's going to want. Now, sure, he's going to want to, you know, have control or at least a decent amount of control over personnel decisions and that sort of thing. We get that. But no, I disagree with you that, you know, he's hanging on. He's Bill Belichick's not a guy who's hanging on for any type of records. He's a lifer. This is all this guy have has in his life and kind of like Nick Saban to a certain degree, but definitely Belichick. I mean, he could have bailed out of New England years ago after Tom Brady left, but no, he, he just, this is, you know, that's what, what he does and he's not ready to hang it up yet. So. And then maybe he could have even interviewed Pete Carroll or had a conversation. But, you know, there are guys out there. So many times you don't have the experienced head coach that is leaving a place and, and is available. And But so many uh, owners now and general managers and presidents ha- are just so locked into coordinator, coordinator, coordinator. And I guarantee the same thing is going to happen. Three years from now, they're going to be looking for somebody else. It's just if you've had zero success, and the Atlanta Falcons had zero success, had zero success going this route, why not try a different route? Especially if it's a veteran like Belichick or even Harbaugh who wants the job. What's What surprised me more of the name that's still out there, now you say you got Belichick, you got uh, Pete Carroll, Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel? I, you know... I could see if owners are concerned with the way the league's going. You don't want those old school guys. Mm. I get that, but Vrabel's in the middle there. Okay, yeah. he's not the young guy off the coordinator boat, you know, yeah. and he's got experience, but yet he's not too old that you know the game's passed him by. Right. Why not him? Yeah. All right, let's go to our good friend Trevor Maddich, who joins us now. Uh, Trev, you hear us talking about the coaching. You and I talked about the Raiders situation with with uh, Tom Telesco being named general manager the other day, along with um, the Antonio Pierce and how that tandem is going to work. How about some thoughts uh, with Atlanta's decision to go with Raheem Morris? You know, it's interesting that, uh, that Bill Belichick didn't get any of those jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, there were, what, other than the Patriots, there were, what was it, seven jobs that were open, and timing's important here, too. But the Patriots didn't make the playoffs. And so, you know, I, the the fact that Bill Belichick became available, there were some multiple jobs open. And it's interesting looking at the trajectory because Bill Belichick is clearly one of the greatest coaches of all time. But he never won without Bill Brady, anything of significance. Or, excuse me, uh, Tom Brady, mm-hmm. anything of significance. You know, Cleveland, he didn't win much with the Patriots. Without without Brady, now with Drew Bledsoe, before Brady, he won. But then things really took off, and all the Super Bowls happened with, with Brady, essentially. And then when Brady left, there was the big controversy of whether or not Brady left because he just couldn't stand Belichick anymore because Belichick mismanaged Brady to the degree that Brady just had to leave. So then you had Brady go to Tampa, Belichick stays at New England, and we could answer the question to some degree, which uh, was more responsible for all those Super Bowls? I mean, clearly both contributed, but which was more responsible, if any? Well, Brady goes on to win a Super Bowl with Tampa, whereas the Patriots fell completely off the map. Without Brady, 
but with Belichick. And so, to me, the, the, the overriding big picture on this from a fan standpoint is you've got one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest NFL coach of all time, Bill Belichick, when his one quarterback that he had the great championship success with left, not only did his current team, the Patriots, fall off the map, but when they essentially asked him to resign, invited him to continue his coaching career elsewhere, nobody else wanted him. That is super weird as a, from a big picture standpoint. It's just, you know, again, there's, you know, what, what Atlanta needs to do, they, you know, they went with a younger guy. They went with a guy that, uh, you know, would bring a fresh perspective. Uh, and, and I can understand that, but it, it almost seems that with, Vrabel, Mike Vrabel getting bounced from the Titans and with other Josh McDaniels, other Belichick disciples not having a lot of success as head coaches. It almost seems like the feeling around the ownership circles is that, okay, the Patriot way, does the Patriot way work if you don't have a Tom Brady on board? And so these are things I think that uh, are kind of boat anchors on the the Bill Belichick hiring process. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're in that neck of the woods there, Nashville and Tennessee, and uh, the Titans dismiss uh, Vrabel, and then they hire Brian Callahan as their head coach. I mean, five years as a uh, offensive coordinator with uh, Cincinnati, and I guess they're looking for someone to, you know, to develop Will Levis, so obviously Ryan Tannehill's time is done there. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts about why Vrabel was let go there in Tennessee and, and the hire of Callahan? I think the Patriot Way kind of yeah. kind of wore out its welcome there in Nashville locally. Vrabel sounded a lot like Belichick in all of his press conferences, where he wouldn't answer questions. He was gruff with the media. He would obfuscate and obscure. And, and I'm fine with that if a coach wants to do that. I don't think a, a head coach in the NFL needs to spill the beans to the public. He just needs to win games, right? But what ended up happening was that concept of, of tough defense, which the Titans played for a while, tough running game, which they had until their offensive line imploded about three years ago, and they weren't able to really get it back up to speed. They, they never did have that level of Brady quarterback, and so they never were able to succeed. And so, you know, going with an offensive coach, a relatively young offensive coach, I think was a good move for a variety of reasons. One is that the Titans are building a new stadium now, and they want to give fans a reason to come out and watch exciting football as they try to sell season tickets and PSLs and all the rest, right? But also because, guys, the this is now a quarterback league. I mean, just look at what the Houston Texans did this year. They brought in a rookie quarterback high in the draft, and then with the next pick, uh, their next pick, they also picked very high in the draft. I think it was number two and three, if I remember correctly. They picked a pass rusher, Will Anderson Jr., and then C.J. Stroud was the quarterback. So they got a quarterback, and they got a guy to disrupt the other team's quarterback, and they went from being one of the dregs of the league to a playoff team and they're one of the exciting teams in the league. And so it's a quarterback league. You either, you need a quarterback and then you need to degrade the other guy's quarterback. And your coaching staff needs to reflect that. And continuity is a very important thing. That's one of the advantages of having an offensive minded head coach that when your offensive coordinator goes off to become a head coach somewhere else, you don't, you don't bring in a new offensive coordinator with differences in his style and terminology and the rest that your quarterback needs to then learn before he can apply it at the highest speed possible. You've already got the head coach who will make sure the offense remains consistent for that quarterback, and the new offensive coordinator will put his own stamp on it, but he'll need to learn what's already happening there and apply his terminology to what the quarterback already knows, which helps the quarterback. That's what happened in, in New England with Brady. I mean, every offensive coordinator that came in there put their own stamp on it, but it's not like they just said, okay, Tom, we're going to change the system, right? And having an offensive-minded head coach in Tennessee, that's what they wanted to do. Now, the Raiders with Antonio Pierce, young defensive-minded coach. Patriots with Gerard Mayo, young defensive-minded coach. You know, there are several of those that have been in there, so they're going to need to make sure that their offenses remain consistent enough that their quarterbacks aren't always starting from zero if they get a good offensive coordinator who gets hired away. Mm-hmm. 
Trevor Maddich joins us talking about uh, the news and notes here in the NFL. All right, let's get uh, cracking here on Sunday's games. We've got Kansas City and Baltimore. Baltimore a four-point favorite. And then San Francisco seven, still staying pretty rock solid there over Detroit. We'll get into our best bets here uh, in just a moment or two. But, uh, Trevor, first let's start with this Kansas City-Baltimore thing. What kind of football game do you anticipate seeing as you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, this is like kind of dynasty material. They're going on the road for the second consecutive week. Uh, looked pretty good uh, in Buffalo last week. And then now Baltimore hosting this game. Uh, it's been a long time since the Ravens have hosted an AFC championship game. What's going to happen here, brother? Well, the, the overall big picture is the, the fact that you've got two of the greatest quarterbacks of their generation. I mean, you've got Patrick Mahomes, who's probably the best quarterback in the NFL, multiple Super Bowl winner with a whole lot more to come. And then you've got the multiple league MVP in Lamar Jackson. That's just going to be a fantastic matchup. I think it's not a matter of, in terms of winning this game, which quarterback performs the best. I think they'll perform at the high, high at a high level. I don't think either defense will do a whole lot to stop the other quarterback. The question is, which defense can stop the other quarterback's friends? And that's where I think Baltimore has an advantage. I mean, the, these are the top two scoring defenses in the regular season, top two sacking defenses in the regular season. But Baltimore's defense is largely intact. I mean, they don't have a whole lot of injury problems, although their corner, Marlon Humphrey, is listed as questionable, so that could be an issue. But I don't know that the uh, Chiefs are going to be able to take too much advantage of that because their receiver situation is not terribly dynamic. On the other side, though, the Chiefs have got all kinds of injury problems in, in key places. I mean, they've got an all-pro left guard, Joe Tooney, who's been ruled out with a pec injury that he suffered last week in the playoff game against the Bills. And then they've got guys on all three levels of the defense, defensive line, linebacker, and secondary that are listed as questionable, guys that are banged up. And this is going against a very physical Ravens team. They're just going to have to hold up physically, even though they're they're banged up. And so I think that Mahomes... The Ravens won't stop him in his own right, but I think they'll do a better job of slowing down the people around him. Now, when you talk about specifically the receivers for the Chiefs, they're just not very exciting, right? Rasheed Rice, the rookie, has been their best wide receiver down the stretch. Uh, Kadarius Tony is question blank. He might even be out. <clears throat> but Travis Kelsey, he's 34 years old. He's uh, still playing at a pretty good level. He's 6'5", 250. And the safeties and linebackers for the Ravens can run with him and they can match up from a height standpoint, depending on who they put on him. Kyle Hamilton, Ravens safety, is 6'4", 220. And he's, he's phenomenal at covering tight ends exactly like Travis Kelsey. And so I, I think that they'll, the Ravens will do a good job of limiting the big plays of Kelsey in this game. And if they limit that, then where else is he going to go? Well, they'll run the ball with Isaiah Pacheco, right? Well, Pacheco is listening is questionable as well. Like it's a, it's a lower body injury on, on Pacheco, the Chiefs running back. So these things all add up to that th- this is not the Chiefs at their best from a health standpoint and a rest standpoint. Ravens, they're almost fully intact. They're laying four in Baltimore. I'll take the Ravens and lay the points. Okay. All right. We get to uh, the afternoon game with San Francisco in Detroit. Again, you know, San Francisco had that scare last week uh, against the Packers. Detroit been playing exceptionally well, but they've had they've won two playoff home games. Now they go on the road. Trev, how much are you buying into the the speed factor that Detroit has, especially at running back and wide receivers? I know you're a big Jameer Gibbs fan. We all are, but uh, are you buying into that? You know, facing that San Francisco defense on the road in the grass outside and maybe some sloppy conditions is going to hamper the Lions. Well, that will take away some of their explosiveness because of just the, the nature of the surface. When you're playing indoors on a carpet, everything is pristine, and you can be as fast as you can possibly be at all times. But you've got to understand how to slow down your cuts, how to 
you know, chop your feet a little bit instead of one cut and go sometimes, which the 49ers play at home all the time on that field. And so they'll, they'll play at a higher theoretical potential or level of their potential than, than the Lions probably will. And keep this in mind that since about week 13 or 14, the Lions haven't been outdoors on grass. And when they were, uh, they, they played at the Bears and I think they only scored like 13 points. They, they weren't that great. Um, credit to the Bears, but at the same time, it's just a different surface. Now, having said that, the Lions have, um, with their speed at running back, still, I think, have ways to give the 49er defense a lot of headaches. The 49ers over the last month of the season have been awful at stopping outside runs. And Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, these guys can get out there, especially Gibbs. And they have all kinds of outside runs the Lions do that take advantage of that kind of a vulnerability. They can pull guys out. They can crack back with the receivers coming down. They've got all kinds of play action off of that as well. And the 49ers will need to stop that first in order to be able to slow down the rest of this Lions offense. I expect the Lions to really focus there with the running game in general and outside runs in particular. And even though the speed will not be as explosive, I think that the vulnerability of the 49ers in that is something that the Niners will have to show that they have fixed because the Lions are fully capable of exploiting it if the 49ers are not fully back on their game. Hmm. Trevor, I got a question for you because part of both of my plays this week, this is a part of the basis uh, for it. But last week you had the Ravens had a very bad first half doll effort. You had the 49ers doll effort, and those were your two number one seeds. Both of them had their number one seed clinched before the final week of the season. So not only did they have the bye week the week before uh, when we were at the wild card round, they also sat the starters the final week of the regular season. We hear the saying, rest versus rust. You being a former player, these key players for those two teams hadn't taken a meaningful snap in 20 or 21 days. Is that a factor to get back to game speed at the start of those games last week? You know, I think last week that was a, a, a factor. Uh, and you could tell it was a factor, especially with the 49ers. And the 49ers lost Debo Samuel. They're all everything, you know, receiver slash running back slash, slash, you know, line them up anywhere and do stuff in the first quarter injury and he, he still has, has got that shoulder injury so we'll see how effective he could be in this game against the Lions that's actually a huge factor in this game is is what Samuel can do because so much of the offense works through him and so much of the matchup formation slash motion slash everything else that they want to get him him on the matchups, go through what those matchups are against Samuel in any given situation. And so I'm not sure how much of the 49ers' poor performance on offense had to do with the fact that they had to kind of shift away from what they intended to do with Debo. Now, at the same time, though, Marco, you're absolutely right about the nature of that of that rust. Uh, you know, I way back in the day, these are just some examples that, that stand out. I remember the 49ers with Steve Young, were uh, were just awesome one year, and they they I don't think they were they weren't undefeated, but they were nearly undefeated, and they just were on a roll at the end of the season, just on a roll. And I was worried about them because you just it's hard to keep up that consistency all the time. They crushed. I think it was the Vikings at the end of the regular season. Um, no, it wasn't the Vikings. It was somebody else. Then they played. I think the Vikings in the first playoff game, and. The 49ers were, uh, were beaten then because that's when they took a step back. It wasn't because of rust. It was because of consistency, right? And then you look at rust. I mean, from personal experience in college, the Holiday Bowl gained its reputation as being an exciting bowl game because of my team, BYU. Our, we were locked into that bowl as the uh, conference affiliation with the bowl, and we were a passing team. And... At the, between the end of the regular season and the Holiday Bowl, 
we weren't able to practice to the degree that we could simulate a game because you just can't do it. We got to the ball game. We ended up falling behind in the first half, and then we'd mount a furious comeback in the second half. Sometimes we'd win, sometimes we wouldn't, but it was always exciting for the fans. And it's because of that rust versus um, versus rest. So you got the two problems. One is that you know you, if you're consistent all the time and you're great all the time, you're going to have a letdown. The other is if you don't play for a while, it takes you a little bit of time to get back up to speed. And I think both the Ravens and the 49ers had that rust versus rest lull last week. But now I think it's not a thing anymore. And now I think the rest, since they survived last week, certainly the 49ers survived, the the Ravens ended up thriving, had a great second half. Uh, I think now the advantage goes all the way to those number one seeds because now they are more rested and less banged up. All right. Favorite, favorite, favorites weekend. We talked about it last weekend and looking at it this weekend as well, too. Let's see where everyone's going with their best bet. It's Football Friday, and time for the weekend's action. Here's the best bets. All right, we're going to give you our best one of the two games. It could be either be a side or a total. Trevor Maddich, Marco D'Angelo, T.C. Martin with you here at the Westgate. Let's hear it, Trevor. You got one this week. Who's it going to be? Well, I kind of, I kind of spilled the beans, but I do like, I do like the Ravens um, laying four against the Chiefs. And, and it is because of the injuries on the Chiefs. What a great quarterback matchup, but the, on both sides of the ball, Lamar Jackson's team is almost fully healthy. On both sides of the ball, Patrick Mahomes' team has some key injuries, and I think that's going to be the difference. Mahomes will do everything he can do to be just phenomenal and awesome and to, to win like everybody expects him to win and Taylor in the, in the box and all the rest of it. But I think the Ravens are going to be able to greatly limit his best receiver coming into this game, wide receiver Rasheed Rice, the rookie, with their coverage schemes. And I think that they will be able to limit Travis Kelsey, who's banged up, but he's 34 years old, for goodness sake. They've got the linebackers and safeties to slow him down. So now you got Patrick Mahomes, superhero, with a lot less to distribute the ball to. And then when you add to the fact that his Pro Bowl left guard is hurt and out, uh, I think that the Ravens have uh, have a big advantage there. So, you know, I, I, I it's hard to go against Mahomes because of his experience and how he's overcome issues like this in the past. But I think these Ravens are just too strong for him to do it this week. All right, Trevor Maddich going with the Ravens at home against KC. Marco D'Angelo, what do you got? Well, I kind of tipped my hand with my question to Trevor, and he is a very sharp and astute guy. I agree with him 100%. Uh, I'm going with San Francisco uh, for my best bet. And last week you had a combination of things with the 49ers, the rust versus the rest. And let's be honest, Brock Purdy, all the pressure in the world was on him because, you know, everybody felt the only reason they didn't go to the Super Bowl last year obviously was him getting injured in the NFC Championship game. That was pressure on him come in there and perform. The fact that he had a bad game, and I even said to you, TC, at dinner, we almost got to see the Iowa State Brock Purdy uh, last week, but he rallied them in the second half. He had the game-winning drive. Connected a six of seven in that drive. I look for them to carry the momentum over this week, and I look at this San Francisco or offense versus the Detroit defense. The Detroit defense has made a lot of average quarterbacks look very good in the last six weeks. Yep. I am going with the 49ers, and I'm laying it. I'm a chalk-eating weasel this week. <laughs> well, you know, I, I agree with both of you guys, and I could go either direction uh, with Baltimore over Kansas City or San Francisco over Detroit. I'll probably be involved in both of these games, and I'm with you guys. Um, I, 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 can't, I think the Kansas City run has come to an end, and uh, this seems like Baltimore's year. So very intrigued to... Uh, to take Baltimore, you know, laying the four points here. But, you know, I've been on this 49er bandwagon, you know, pretty much all year, and they have paid off for the most part. Again, I am going to go with San Francisco as the best bet just because I do not believe that they are going to throw two clunkers in. Yeah, they won the football game last week against Green Bay, but they threw in a clunker. Brock Purdy was not spectacular. Weather was a problem. We've seen that 
with him in the previous games where he's faced rain going back to Philadelphia early in the season in Cleveland. And then, you know, he couldn't throw the ball last week, couldn't make up his mind, glove or not, whatever. But this is his home field, and the 49ers should feel comfortable there. Debo Samuel worries me. Uh, he's not going to be 100%, but he's got to play in this game. The shoulder injury, I know it's a, it's a serious injury, but they need Debo Samuel. For me, I love San Francisco. I love Christian McCaffrey. I love the defense, and I think that they are going to be much more fine-tuned and ready to go this week. But this is really a play against Detroit. All right, Detroit's a nice story. But when it comes down to coaching Kyle Shanahan versus Dan Campbell, I'm taking Kyle Shanahan every day and twice on Sunday. All right, And when you look at Detroit, this is a team that has been playing in the cozy confines. They've closed the regular season and the first two weeks of this playoff season at home in the comfy confines there in Detroit in the fast track like Trevor talks about. All right, well, when they were on the road, they were playing Minnesota fast track. Dallas basically indoors, all right? They have not played outdoors on grass since November in Chicago. And that was about seven weeks ago, and they got drilled. They lost that game 28-13. to I cannot get that out of my head. I think going into San Francisco against the best team in the NFC is going to be too much for the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff going back to a house of horrors against the 49ers. I think it's the Niners' time here, and we're going to see a Super Bowl more than likely with Baltimore and San Francisco. But uh, definitely taking San Francisco lane the seven. So if it's a chalk-eating weasel or a Beverly, you know, Mai Tai, whatever it is, give it to me, baby. Give me the 49ers. And there you go. Our best bets are up on the website as well, too. You can see uh, Scott Spritzer's, Gilby the Interns, um, up there as well, too. All right, Trev, we appreciate you, my friend. Enjoy your weekend, and hopefully uh, you've got some frosty beverages, some great food, and uh, you're in a recliner or a couch and enjoying the games from your home. Oh, yeah, and I tell you, my wife is a, is a Chiefs girl now. She loves the Kelsey podcast and loves the Kelsey <laughs> girls. And so uh, it's, uh, we're going we're gonna to have a whole lot of fun. She has a sparkly sequined Chiefs jersey that she wears. And so even I'm not going to tell her that I picked the Ravens. You can't. You can't do that because you might not be eating on Sunday. Hey, and you guys, TC, you got to break out your guitar and with Marco, write the country song, Chalk Eating Weasels. That sounds like a great song. You know, Trev, country's not my uh, genre, you know, so, uh, but you're right. We can uh, maybe get Jay Cordigay, who looked like he just got out of the rodeo when he was here with us. So there you go. Chalk Eating Weasels. There you go. I like that. Only Trevor, if you'll play bass and, uh, you know, the stand-up bass and uh, you'll give us a little baritone uh, vocals. How's that? Yeah, I got a bucket, of, a mop stick, and a string. I'm on it. <laughs> we'll let you get back to the Beverly Hillbillies, my friend. All right? Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Uh, my guy Trevor Maddich does a fantastic job uh, over at uh, ESPN College Football. All right? All right, man. I don't know if Trevor wants me to say anything, but he's had a great run at ESPN, and he's going to be continuing there, signing a new co- contract nice. for many, many years. So congratulations to him for that. That's, that's our guy, and, and uh, he will continue to join us uh, here as well. All right, uh, fellas, we uh, look forward to a great weekend. And, uh, Marco, you and I are both on the favorites, it looks like. Yep. We are chalk eating this week, so that's it. All right. we have a lot of beverages to get that chalk down, you know? <laughs> All right. For Numbchuck, TC, Marco, have yourself a good one, everyone. Go to the website, check out our breakdown on the games, and uh, get to hear our interview with Steve Berline from yesterday uh, as well. That is up on the website as well at tcmartinshow.com. Appreciate you joining us. We'll be back at it Monday to recap it, and then we'll start the hype. Two weeks to the Super Bowl here in Vegas.